Take your Bible, please. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And we're continuing our study today through Philippians. Uh, If you're just joining us or if you're just joining on live stream, we've been preaching through the epistle to the Philippians verse by verse. Today we are in chapter 2, verses 25 to 30. I always like to say this. um, So if you happen to be here and and weren't here before, uh, the message is, is designed just because this is where we are. Nothing is intentional to touch anyone in a certain way or there's no other reason than other than that's where we are today. Amen? Amen. So can we join this couple and let's all stand together as we read the word of God. Thank you, Jennifer. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Philippians 2, verse 25. Yes, I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I send him the more eagerly That when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Dear Lord, thank you for your word today. Uh, We pray your blessing upon this message And upon this passage of scripture, Lord, anoint me that I may bring forth the word of God. Preach it the way you want it to be preached today. But Lord, let it be received. Let it be heard, applied to each of our lives the way you want as well. Lord, even through live stream or through social media later on in the the week or month, let this be a blessing to somebody, but certainly a blessing for you. We thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I want to read you the same passage uh, through a different translation. Uh, I'm reading from the message. Anyone ever read the message translation? I don't like to preach from it, but sometimes I like to look at it to get a different flavor or a different point of view. Let me me read it the way uh, it it says in uh, in the, the message. Verse 25, but right now I'm dispatching Epaphroditus, my good friend and companion in my work. You sent him to help me out, but now I'm sending him to help you out. He has been wanting in the worst way to get back with you, especially recovering from the illness you heard about. He's been wanting to get back and reassure you that he's just fine. He nearly died, as you know, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, he had mercy on me too. His death would have been one huge grief piled on top of all the others. So you can see why I'm delighted to send him to you. When you see him again, strong and strapping, how you'll rejoice and how relieved I'll be. Give him a grand welcome and a joyful embrace. 
People like him deserve the best you can give. Remember the ministry to me that you started but weren't able to complete. Well, in the process of finishing up that work, he put his life on the line and nearly died doing it. Does that help get a little bit better picture? So we're continuing this idea from last Sunday. If you, if you missed it, real, real quickly, uh, verses 17 and 18, Paul was saying, I'm giving my life as a drink offering. I'm pouring out my life as a drink offering. We talked all about that. His drink offering was being poured out upon the sacrifice and service of the faith of the Philippians. So you have this idea that, as in the Old Testament days, they would bring a drink offering to pour wine or, or some beverage on top of the offering that was being given. And it would sizzle and smoke and make a little commotion. And that, that's what a drink offering is. Paul was saying, my life is a drink offering on top of your sacrifice and your service. But we're continuing with the idea, which really uh, begins in verses 6, 7, and 8. We won't go there, but Jesus, Paul says of Jesus, he emptied himself. He poured out himself and became a bondservant. He served, he left glory to come to earth. So Paul is really basically imitating Jesus by being a drink offering. We saw Timothy last week as well, verses 20 and 22. Timothy had the mind like Paul, had thought like Paul. He was pouring out his life as well as a drink offering. And now Paul introduces us to another character whose name is always difficult to pronounce, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. See, I knew I was going to mess it up. But anyway, Paul is in, under house arrest in prison up in Rome. Timothy is with him. If you look at chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, Paul and Timothy writing to the saints. So Timothy was with Paul up in Rome writing this epistle to the Philippians. And in verse 19, Paul wants to send Timothy back to them to see how they're doing and then get word back that everything's good. And then he mentions this brother Epaphroditus into the story. Now, the story is that Paul is sending Epaphroditus to the Philippians to alleviate the concern that they had over his life because they heard he was sick. And uh, also some people think that in the process of sending him back, he brought this epistle back to the Philippians so they could read this letter that he wrote. But turn with me over to chapter 4 for just a second. Chapter 4, verse 15. Because this is the backdrop of uh, Epaphroditus. You Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but only you. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Well, Paul is saying, you, church, you, you Philippians, you blessed me. Some people think they, uh, he was brought a goodie bag or like a little bag of food, clothing, money, whatever, books to read. But he said, I don't really seek the gift, but I like the fruit that abounds to your account. In other words, I like the idea that you're ministering to me. Verse 18, for I, I, I have all, I abound, I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So uh, Paul enjoyed the fruit of his, of his giving, 
But uh, apparently Epaphroditus got very sick uh, in, his, in, his, uh, in his travels. Now, if you look at Philippi on a map over here, Rome is way over here. It's got to be thousands of miles away. It's like going farther from Boston to Los Angeles. How they traveled in those days, I don't know, but that's a long trip. In the process of that trip, Epaphroditus got very sick. And so he sent him back to relieve everyone's anxiety and concern for him. It says in verse number 29, it says to honor such men, such people that give their lives for the cause of Christ. So I've, I've entitled the sermon today, Lessons from Epaphroditus. And you're going to learn how to say that name before we conclude today. Amen? Epaphroditus. Now, for years, I had it punctuated in the wrong place. I'm trying not to think of that. So, Epaphroditus. We're going to go verse by verse. And then I'm going to give you four major lessons from his life. Uh, By the way, Epaphroditus is recognized as a saint in the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church as well. Now, we understand the, the term saint uh, is for any believer in Christ, either dead or alive. Uh, so he's writing to the saints in Philippi right now. But anyway, Epaphroditus uh, is recognized in some mainline uh, denominations as an official saint. So verse number 25, let's start right here. I considered it necessary to send to you Epaph. Epaphroditus. Can I call him Epaph for short? Would that work? I don't know. Epaph. But I'm sending him to you. I I, I found it necessary to send. I'm I'm sure Paul was thinking, uh, he's here with me up in Rome. Timothy's here. We're having a little fellowship. I don't really want to send him back, but for your sake, I'm going to send him back. So he sends him back. And I I find it really interesting and and, uh, enlightening uh, the three words that he describes this dear brother, Epath. Ah. He says, uh, he's my brother, he's my fellow worker, and he's my fellow soldier. I want to talk about those three, three things for just a moment. Uh, he's my brother in Christ. It's an endearing term. Uh, it's, a, it's a term that designates closeness in heart, soul, and spirit. It's one who believes in Christ with me or with us, one who serves Christ. Their hearts are joined together in worship and in purpose. And in this epistle, this type of brother is important because if you look back in chapter 2, verses 2, 3, and 4, just one little spot, uh, Paul was encouraging the church to be, of, to be like-minded, uh, ha- have uh, the same love for one another, be in one accord with one another. Uh, don't be selfish, but look out for others you know, as, as you love them. So he's trying to bring this idea that, that brothers and sisters in Christ really care about each other. But Epaphroditus is a, is a brother that Paul loves and cares for. They have mutual love and respect for each other. Um, spiritually bound together, intellectually bound together, and emotionally bound together. But then he says, he's also my fellow worker. Can I just say that a, a brother like naturally progresses into work mode? When you're a brother or sister in Christ, you automatically progress to the point where you realize you're, you're to be working for the cause of Christ. Someone who's a, a fellow worker sees a need and meets that need. 
In James chapter 1, we're, we're taught, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. Uh, a fellow worker is someone who's dependable and uh, usable and agreeable and willing to do what it takes to advance the kingdom of God or to help a local church grow in whatever area they're supposed to be growing in. But then he says, he's also, he's, he's my brother, he's my fellow worker, but he's my fellow soldier. So Epaphroditus has entered into spiritual warfare with Paul. I could just picture he and Timothy and Paul up in the, the Roman prison uh, having great fellowship together, battling demons, battling flesh, battling the world system around them. But, you know, we need people like that around us. Sometimes we get overwhelmed with the pressures and, and the way life is in the world. We need brothers and sisters that we could relate to and pray with and, and battle those spiritual forces. But he was a fellow soldier. A fellow soldier sees the bigger picture of ministry and leadership and, and advancing the kingdom of God, who fight the good fight of faith. So these, just verse 25, these three uh, words to describe his friend are, are very uh, enlightening to me. Jesus said in Matthew 12, he was asked the question. His brothers were there. Jesus' mother was there. And someone said, hey, Jesus, here's your mother and your brothers. And Jesus said, who are, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? He said, those who do the will of my father, they are my brothers. So we need brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? I want to encourage you to, to help to uh, facilitate growth and, and camaraderie and fellowship among the believers as we need each other to withstand the pressures of life around us. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul writes, be diligent to present yourself as a worker, not ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. Be a worker for the kingdom of God. Get into the word of God. In 2 Timothy 2.3, Paul writes to the church, to, to Timothy, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So a brother, a worker, and a soldier kind of describe Epaphroditus. And so he says, uh, Epaphroditus is my brother, my fellow worker, my soldier, but he's your messenger. He's the one who ministered to me. What he's saying is, he's the one who ministered to me through you. You sent him up to me to minister to me, and he's a choice vessel of the Lord. But he says, I, I considered it necessary to send him back to you. Verse 26, since he was longing for you, I get the idea that maybe uh, between Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, uh, he was saying, you know what, Paul, I think I better go back to Philippi. Maybe he was homesick. Maybe he was, something was going on. But Paul said, you know what, uh, Epaph, go back to Philippi and put everyone at peace there. So he, he sends him. Uh, he, he was longing for them. He was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. So obviously they had a close relationship. For indeed, he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy. I just want to encourage everyone to, to find God's mercy. 
I mean, when I'm sick, uh, I'm like, there's no mercy on me. I'm a big baby. But <laughs> we have to realize whatever, if we're sick or troubled or there's things going on, let God have his mercy on us. Let God move upon us. Remember, mercy, uh, as opposed to grace, mercy is not getting the punishment that we deserve, but getting God's blessing on our lives. So he was sick, but God had mercy on him. And Paul says, not only on him, but God had mercy on me too. Because, uh, let's see, where are we here? Uh, uh, Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. What he's saying is, um, God had mercy on on Epi to heal him, but he was merciful to me because I can't take anymore. Anyone ever get like that? Lord, I just can't take anymore. He had sought. Now, the whole epistle we've been saying, Paul's been positive, you know, helpful, encouraging, and he really has been the whole time. But now he lets out a little bit of his real inner self. I'm glad that, that God, you healed him because that sorrow would have been sorrow upon my existing sorrow. Don't forget, he is in prison. He is facing, uh, he may be facing death sooner than he realizes. He's in trouble. He's in conflict. He tries not to show it, but deep down, he, that, if he died, that would have been one more thing for him to deal with. And he's saying, Lord, thank you that you had grace on me by allowing him to live. So let's see, verse number 28. He goes on, Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. I like the way Paul is incorporating himself into this story. I'm sending him back to you. You're going to rejoice. I'm going to be happy, too, that he's okay. I'm going to miss him because we're close, but I'm, I'm going to be less sorrowful knowing that he's okay. He's in a good place. Note the, the love, the respect, the closeness among everybody here is really, really commendable. So he says, uh, receive him. Uh, receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness. And hold such men in high esteem. I like, I like this, and I don't think I'm reading into it, but I think Paul is saying, hey, uh, Philippians, will you show some emotions when he comes back? Will you be glad? It's okay to be happy to see your brother. He's just traveled thousands of miles to get back home again. He's been, he almost died for the cause of Christ. Can you just rejoice when he gets back? That's what he's saying. I think some, sometimes I... I, I've, I <laughs> How we doing, everybody? Are you with me? <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I want, I want a reaction. I want someone to, to be happy or to show some emotion or just to respond in such a way. But that's what Paul is saying here. Uh, look, uh, um, receive him with gladness. And, and whenever you meet anyone that's doing a work for God, receive him. Hold him in high esteem. Rejoice with them. Hallelujah. I wonder how the churches in Morocco is doing. If they get a little excited over there when good things happen. Maybe they do. I don't know. Never been to Morocco. What is, it says, because, because for the work of, the, of the work of Christ, he came close to death. That's a serious statement. The work of Christ. What was he doing over there? Well, he, he brought a gift of some sort. But he traveled. Maybe he was... Maybe he was uh, persecuted in some way. Maybe he just got sick on the way. That could very, very well be. We don't know exactly what it was, but, but he was not doing well. He, he, for the work of Christ, he got very sick. And uh, that little phrase, not regarding his life, some translations say he risked his life to minister to me. 
And so Paul is saying, you know what, I'm sending them back to you. Welcome him back. Make, make him feel welcome and let him, let him have joy that he's doing good. You're doing good. I'm doing okay. Timothy's still with me. Because he's, Paul says, because he, he did what was lacking in your service toward me. In other words, everyone couldn't have come up here to see me, but he represented you. And he did all he could to, to bless me and to, and to, you know, give me the gifts that, were, that you had sent. So um, I think, I think Epaph- Epaphroditus was pouring out his life as a drink offering. He almost died doing it. But that's the concept Paul's trying to communicate. Imitating Christ who emptied himself, came to earth and gave his life away. Paul was a drink offering. Timothy is a drink offering. And now our dear brother Epi is a drink offering as well. So I want to I give you a couple of lessons from his life. Uh, by the way, we, we heard about uh, Epaphroditus. He is a canonized saint, but... Church history says that he later became a bishop, a leader of the church in those days, uh, a great, uh, powerful, respected servant of the Lord. But what can we learn from his life? So I have four things I want to share with you today. Four things I want to share with you, uh, taken from the life of Epaphroditus. The first one is this. Be certain that you are a true brother or sister in Christ. One of, the, one of the scriptures that really shakes me is in Matthew 7, when Jesus is saying, you know, uh, not everyone who calls me Lord will inherit the kingdom of God. And in that setting, they said, but Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We brought deliverance in your name. We, we healed the sick in your name. And you know what Jesus said? I never knew you. That's a concept it's hard to fathom. But what he's saying is, my word trumps your life. You could, be a, you could not even be a Christian and proclaim the word of God. God will honor his word, but you'll never make it to glory. And so I, I'm just saying, let's make sure that we're right with God. Now, what, what does it take to be right with God? Well, that's a, that's a long story, but... but uh, I don't know, a brother or sister. Are you a real brother in Christ? Are you a real sister in Christ? Uh, many years ago, you know, some of you know my story, I used to be a painter, house painter. And uh, we joined the painters union down in New York. It was a process. But every Friday, my father would come to the job site and he would say to everybody, hey, brothers, hey, bro-. and plus he had the paycheck, so everyone was happy to see him. But he said, hey, brothers, and, and so we, we're all, we're a painter's union guy. We, we had a camaraderie. We had a brotherhood. You know, we went through the courses and knew what we had to do, and we paid our dues. We were part of the team, part of the club. I always remembered my, bro- my father coming in saying, hey, brothers, good to see you. And everyone, everyone was happy to see him. But now when we say, hey, brother, hey, sister, it's not like a, a special team. It's, it's like we're united in Christ Jesus. We have a bond between us. We've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have a common history in that you got saved and I got saved. Somewhere along the line, somebody told somebody, you received Jesus, I received Jesus. We're walking this life together, running after God. We're real brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to just make sure that, that everyone is able to say, I, I, I'm not perfect, but you know what? I am a believer in Jesus Christ. 
So here's some, some qualities of being a believer, a, a follower, a brother, or a sister in Christ. We believe with all of our heart that this book is true. Jesus came because we're sinners. He came to give his life that we may have eternal life. Do you believe that? We who are brothers and sisters, we have begun to think differently. We can remember how we used to think, and we're glad we don't think like that anymore. Amen. We, we think about life differently because our eternal soul has been affected by the blood and authority of Jesus Christ. We begin to have love and compassion towards people that we didn't have before. We may have had a soft spot for some things, but as a Christian person, we have something in common. We're told by the Lord to reach out to those that are suffering and hurting. Be his hand extended. We have that in common. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Look over chapter 1, verse 30. It talks about entering into that conflict. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But if we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we understand the conflict that we're in. We don't fit here, church. I understand that, and you understand that. If I'm having a bad day, or you're having a bad day, we understand there's spiritual forces, there's flesh involved. We, we entered a conflict. We're, we're in the world, but not of the world. We, we, we belong to the Lord, but we have to pay our rent and go to our work, make money and live. It's a, it's a complicated situation, but we've entered into a conflict together. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we've had a change in lifestyle. You know, the things we used to do, we don't do anymore. And some of those things that are hanging on, we're trying so hard to cut them off. We're, we're a work in progress. But I just want to ask you are, you, are you sure that you're a brother or a sister in Christ? Epaphroditus was, was definitely a brother of, 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 in Christ for Paul. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So lessons from Epaphroditus. I say that right or did I say that wrong? Epaphroditus. <laughs> Make sure you're in good standing with Jesus. Make sure you're in good standing with Jesus. Number two is this. Lessons from Epi. We become others-oriented. Yeah, he's a brother, he's a fellow worker, he's a fellow soldier. He's a messenger from the uh, Philippians. He's a minister to Paul. But verse number 26, it says that he longed for them. He was concerned about them. Verse 26 says that he, he was distressed over them. He was others-oriented. It wasn't only about his life it was about the lives of other people. If you would, turn with me to James chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to read a few verses here. Others oriented. I'm going to start reading at verse number 14, which comes after a little section in chapter 2 when uh, James is writing about the value of the poorer person versus the richer person in their appearance. To don't neglect the poorer person just because they look a certain way. But he continues with this in verse number 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food... 
And uh, one of them says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. For you believe that there's one God, you do well. Even demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? The lesson from Epaphroditus is that he he was others-oriented. He was thinking about the other person. He was thinking about Paul. He was thinking about the church back in Philippi. I want to raise a couple of questions here to the church today. I wonder if anyone, uh, last Sunday was a great day in the house of the Lord. I don't know if you remember. I had a good time. I felt the presence of God. I shared this on Sunday and Sunday night at the live stream. But at some point during the worship service, our brother Jesus walked in here like the Pied Piper with about 15 teenagers behind him. I don't know if you all caught that. They sat right over here. When that happened, man, my heart, I was playing the guitar. I started to say, hallelujah. I got excited all of a sudden. I was encouraged. But all week long, I've been, and and then then, uh, our our Sunday, our our kids' church workers were kind of scurrying around. What are we going to do to get a a teen class together today? Because it's every other week right now. So they, they got a teen class together. And eight teenagers went down there, but not them. The eight teenagers were our own teenagers. The visitors stayed there and they listened to me preach the whole time. And they were, they were kind of keyed, cued into me, I could tell. But all week long I'm thinking, okay, we had those eight people, had another ten people up here. We have enough for a youth group. All right, let me take off my glasses for this. Does anyone think that maybe God is speaking to us? Do we need to reestablish a youth group? Yeah, I would say yeah. But I would have to tell you, though, I would love to be the youth leader, but I don't think it's going to work. You know what I mean? I don't think it's my time or place. But I think there's somebody that might have a passion to be a youth leader in our church. I'll tell you right off the bat, it'll take your time. It'll take your energy. It might take your insanity a little bit. But it's going to be worth it. But see, lessons from Epaphroditus. Are we others oriented? I wish I had every one of those kids names and numbers. I would have called them this week, but I don't, we didn't get that. Uh, I'll go through Jesus. He's got it all. I'm just saying, can, can I just say this to, to the church? We need to be thinking about, praying about a bona fide youth ministry. If you've been around for a while, you know, before COVID, we had a thriving youth group. 20 kids every Sunday night, 25, without batting an eyelash. They were all over the place. The kids were, they were hungry for God. They were hungry for fun. And we had a youth group. I'm just saying, you know what? It might be time to entertain that thought. But if we're others-oriented, it should be developing. It should be something we pray about, you know, even right now. What about, what about a street ministry or an outreach? What about someone getting the burden? I mean, I, I feel... You know, I live right here, and uh, our, this is our neighborhood going up that way. There are so many cars that go by this church every, every, week, every day. It's incredible. Thousands of cars go by this church. And they see the sign, and it's good. The sign does bear fruit. But I wonder if someone 
feels a something, a little, a little passion to maybe put together a, a street witnessing team, just to pass out some tracts, some invitations to the church, maybe to, to start praying for the neighborhood. This neighborhood back here, for the last month or so, they've been having a very difficult time. All their water pipes are, are, are not functioning right. And now their electricity is being restored. It's a big problem up there. People park in our parking lot and go up the back road to get to their homes. I have a, I have a burden for these dear people. They're so close and yet so far. But I wonder if someone has a passion or a burden to reach out to our neighbors. What about... Now, every, every Sunday morning, I turn on those lights over there. Haven't said it in a while. Those are the areas in the world where we support our missionaries. Some lights represent more than one person. But we support them uh, $50 a month. We need $1,650 a month to support them at $50 a month. I wonder if someone would have a, a burden or a passion to really care, not only to care for the people that they're ministering to, but to care for these missionary families that have packed up everything and gone somewhere to share the gospel and raise money. Everyone say the word money. It's not a bad word. Everyone needs money. They need money. They need prayer, but they need finances to help. Can someone think about maybe how can we raise money to bless them? How can we you know, get that flowing a little bit more? Or maybe some have not yet made a pledge to support them. We have the pledge cards on the table. We're always looking for more pledges. What about, and I'm, Lalo, thank you for your, your hospital visitation and ministering to people at home. You're a blessing to the church. We appreciate you. But I wonder, and J- Jason helped me as, as well and others, but I wonder if there's some people that are interested in praying for the sick, maybe visiting the sick. Maybe, uh, you know, making time to go to someone's home or go to the hospital and pray for somebody. These are all things that we could do if we're others-oriented. What about coming to prayer meeting on Monday night? Not for your own need, but to pray for somebody else's need. That would be a great thing to do. Join uh, Bill and Esther. And uh, I see Millie Cobbett. I know, Millie, you send out cards frequently to people that are sick or whatever. That's a great ministry. Um, I know when I'm sick, I love getting things in the mail. I love when food's dropped off. I really like that part. <laughs> I should get sick more often so that would happen. No, only kidding. But yeah, so uh, uh, others orient. And, and notice in verse number, in verse number 20, uh, where are we? Philippians 2, verse, oh, uh, where are we? Verse 26, yeah, verse 26. Uh, Epi was longing for them. He was distressed over them. He had feelings for them. Can we let our guard down a little bit and and let love flow? You know, can we really, I mean, it's one thing to say, I love you, brother. See you next Sunday. But wait wait a minute. Maybe they have a need on Monday. Maybe there's something going on. They need need more than a, a hello or a goodbye. But anyway, Effie's thinking about the needs of others, trying to make a difference. So, lessons from Epaphroditus. Make sure you're saved. Make sure you're a brother or sister. And start looking for the needs of other people. The third thing is this. If you notice, Philippians 2, uh, a main part of the story is that he was sick. Now, we don't like to talk about sickness because God heals us. We believe in healing. You know, we don't like to talk about it. But you know what? Today we want to talk about it just a minute. Because sickness... 
does not equal weakness. In fact, I found out when many people are sick physically, they're even stronger spiritually. So in Epaphroditus' case, his sickness, it probably sidelined him for a little bit, but it it didn't end his faith or cause him to lose his faith. He was faithful through the whole thing. It says in verse 27, he was sick unto death, but God had mercy. I want to submit to you, church, sometimes sickness and faith do go hand in hand. It's not because you did something bad. It's not because God's punishing anybody. In fact, if, if uh, if the Lord doesn't come back in our lifetime, we will sooner or later die of something. And you could be living the holiest of lives and you're still going to die of something sooner or later. So I'm just saying that sickness does not mean weakness. You may be sick. Some people have a chronic illness. I'm sensitive to that. I have some of that in my family. But you know what? Whatever you can do, do it for the glory of God. And know that you fall into a biblical pattern with so many great people. Listen, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, was given a thorn in the flesh to buffet him, to keep him humble. What was that thorn? We don't know what the thorn was, but it was some type of physical malady that kept him humble before God. Did that slow Paul down at all? And oh, that was probably fuel for him to keep on going. In Galatians 4.13 Paul wrote this. He says, you know that because of physical infirmity, I first began to preach the gospel to you in the beginning. He was sick in the beginning of his preaching days. Maybe he had a a physical infirmity. Maybe it was because he was beaten. or We don't know what it was. I'm just saying Paul's sickness or physical malady did not prevent him from doing anything for the kingdom of God. And again, I'm not being insensitive to people that need medical care. I, I, I believe in all of that. Timothy, it says in 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul said to Timothy, uh, Timmy, use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. So Timothy had an upset stomach. I don't know, we have ulcers, he had a problem. But just take care of it, get on with it, and, and be used for the kingdom of God. In 2 Timothy 4.20, Trophimus, it says, Paul says, I left uh, Trophimus behind in uh, Malatus sick. But we know from the book of Acts that Trophimus was a faithful traveling companion of Paul. And here we have Epaphroditus who almost died, um, not spiritually weak at all. And some of the strongest believers are physically weak. If you're sick, you have a sickness or whatever, trust God and do what you can for the kingdom. But take extra care of your spiritual life. This is one of my personal things. Because I thank the Lord, I'm very healthy. I praise God for that. But I always wonder what would happen to me if I, if I had a diagnosis one day. Where would my faith be? I always wonder about that. I haven't been challenged in that way yet. But this I do know, that my soul is going to live for eternity. My body is going to die sooner or later, unless Jesus comes back. 
it would do me well to build up my faith, my spirit, so that whatever comes my way, I'll be able to handle. I told you a few weeks ago, it was a Sunday, it was my birthday actually, April 23rd, it was a Sunday, and there was a brother um, down in Rhode Island that preached his last message. He was in his 60s. That week, he died of cancer. But up until that week he died, he's preaching the word of God. He's sitting in a chair with a microphone, could barely talk, but preaching the word of God, doing what he had to do for the kingdom. I'm just saying, I'm sympathetic to to people being sick. I mean, I, I see it all the time. I see it in my family. I just want to encourage everyone. I don't want you to feel guilty if you're sick. I I, I hear that a lot. I must have done something wrong. No, no, not really. Maybe, but probably not. I mean, people get sick. Paul was sick. Timothy was sick. Epaphroditus was sick. You know, there's a lot of sick people in the Word of God. But let your sickness make your spiritual roots grow deeper. The Word of God says that the flower fades, the grass withers, but the Word of God, you know, lasts forever. Let the word of God in your spirit be fresh and alive. Your body will will taper off, but let your spirit person live for eternity with the Lord. Make sense, church? But continue to seek your healing. We, 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 We believe in healing. We'll pray for you. We'll anoint you with oil. We'll do all of that. I always like to tell this story. Several years ago, we had a few people that had cancer. And one was my sister, actually. And some people were healed, and some people died. And people ask me, why does that happen? And I say, I don't know. I don't know, and you don't know. Only God knows. We prayed for my sister the same way we prayed for this one. That one lived, and my sister didn't live. Why? I don't know. We're not called to know why. We're called to pray. We're called to have faith. And I want to tell you, my sister had faith till the very end. She never wavered in her faith. And now that legacy is burning through the family. Okay, let me give you the fourth one. We're going to wrap this up. I would encourage you, like Epaphroditus did, take a risk for the Lord. You ever hear the expression, nothing ventured, nothing gained? It's very true. Uh, Many of you know that this week, um, Pamela and I are celebrating our our 30-year journey in Massachusetts. You know, we're not Massachusetts natives, we're New York natives. And uh, in 1993, we were sent out from our home church, which was in Greenwich, Connecticut, right over the state line. They sent us out on a journey to Massachusetts to pastor a church in Webster, Massachusetts, Faith Assembly of God. After being there for 13, 14 years, we came here to Haverhill. Talk about taking a risk. I didn't go into it too much, but at that time, Stacy was Stacy, who led worship today, was probably thirteen or so. Uh, Jeffrey was ten. Betsy was, I don't know, six, five or six. We packed up everything. I had the U-Haul. I had everything we owned in this U-Haul truck, including a piano. I, everything we owned, we put in there, and uh, said goodbye to everybody. I, I was living in the house that I grew up in as a little kid. My, my parents still own that. They still own it now. Lived there for about 11 years as we lived there. Packed up everything, said goodbye to our old church where we were assistant pastors. I'm just saying, you talk about it. Sometimes I say, Lord, wow, what happened? 30 years just went by. It was a risk in a sense. Lord, we're doing this for you. 
And then, you know, a year or two goes by and you start thinking, what well, did I do the right thing? <laughs> I, I, I uprooted my kids. I took everyone away from my family. All this stuff happened. It was all a risk. But you know what? I'm glad we did it. We're still doing it. But I'm saying this, at some point, somebody has to take a risk for God. So we came up to Haverhill. Uh, we figured, okay, you know what? We got to do something to stir up the, the climate here. So we developed this thing called Hillstock. Three days of outreach in the park down there. Who's going to come to Hillstock? Oh, my goodness. A thousand people showed up at Hillstock, giving hot dogs away. Free music, free snow cones, free bouncing. In other words, we have taken risks in church. You've got to take, we've got to take some more risks around here. What can you do? What can we do to advance this kingdom of God? I'm saying we're a drink offering. We're pouring out our lives. I'm saying at this point in my life, I have to rally the troops. We've got to do something to fill this church. We've got to do something to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't need to tell you. You go to the store, you go anywhere, anywhere you go, you hear the foulest language. You hear people bickering and arguing. You hear a lot of, you feel a lot of tension. And in my heart I'm saying, but Lord, we have the answer, but how do we get it out to the, to the masses of people? I'm just saying someone's got to take a risk and do something for the kingdom of God. Who will dare to do something to spread, uh, the, the, to spread the word of God for the God who saved us? Who will be creative in serving the Lord? Who could write a play? Who could write a song? Who could do a human video? Who could organize a, a street meeting or a, a thing out in the parking lot? You know, who can do something for the Lord? Who can challenge the status quo? Let me, let me share a little bit. I'm going to wrap this up. But Noah built an ark on a mountain. There was no water in sight. Did people think he was crazy? Yeah. He took a risk. Abraham, it says he left home and started going to a country that he knew not of. He didn't even know where he was going. I always say, at least I knew I was going to Webster, Massachusetts, even though I never heard of Webster, Massachusetts before. Moses could not speak properly. And God called him to be a leader. He said, okay, but someone's got to help me. He took a risk. Gideon fought with 300 soldiers instead of 3,000. He took a risk. Rahab believed, even though her family was unbelieving. Ruth accepted the faith of her mother-in-law. She took a risk. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. I want to read a passage of scripture. I wrote it out. 1 Chronicles 28.20. Daniel's speaking to his son Solomon regarding the building of the temple. He said, Solomon, be strong and of good courage and do it. Those words are really important for someone to give you the blessing to do it. Reminds me of my father who, who blessed me after, after his Aunt Mary, Aunt Mary had passed away. 
And he said, I did a good job. He was blessing me. Like, go ahead, go forward with your ministry. I'm telling you, church, do it for the glory of God. You can do it. We can do it. Do not fear. Don't be dismayed. Be of good courage. For the Lord God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. The blessing of the Father upon the Son to do the work. I want to bless this congregation and tell you, we've got work to do, but I'm blessing you. Be creative, be energetic, be hungry for the things of God. In Judges 6, 15 and 16, we read this, a conversation between Gideon and the Lord. Gideon said, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to Gideon, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. I just want to raise the question, who can take a risk for the Lord? Who can do something radical with your life for the kingdom of God? Who can see a need and fill it? Who can see a possibility and pursue it? Who can have a vision or a dream or a hope and literally go for it in these days of hardship? So, just in summary, lessons from Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus, Make sure your faith is genuine. I don't know how else to say it. A genuine faith is a radical faith. It changes everything. To see others as more important than yourself. And there are needs all around us. Be spiritually strong. Build up your spirit person, your spirit man. Feed your soul and take a risk. Don't be afraid to step out. And do something for the Lord. Can we stand together please? I wanted to end with a scripture from Galatians chapter 2. Which kind of makes it, kind of fits into the message today. Many of you know it already. But read it along with me if you can. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's read it one more time. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Every head bowed for just a moment, please. We're talking about being a drink offering. We're talking about pouring your life out. We're talking about putting others before ourselves. We're talking about stepping out in faith, taking a risk, doing something radical for the kingdom of God. Every head bowed. Listen, it may be as simple as in your family saying to the family, let's pray now. You know, they never prayed together in their lives, but you're a Christian. You're going to say, let's pray now. You say a short, simple prayer. It could be somebody at work, and you see someone that's really despondent or depressed, and you walk over to them, and you say, hey, uh, how you doing today? Can I pray about something with you? Just step out, take a risk, and do something for the Lord. It could be that lady in the supermarket that 
that you could tell is just having a terrible, terrible day. And the Lord put your past together. You could say something kind, something gracious. If you really feel inspired, you could pay for somebody's groceries just to bless somebody. You could pay for the table next to you in the restaurant. And don't even tell them, just tell the waiter, I'm, pr- I'm paying for that bill over there. Just to bless somebody. Well, I want to go to the first part, which to make sure that you're a real brother or sister in Christ. I just want to raise this question one more time. Is there anybody here this morning or somebody online perhaps that, you know, you've come to this place in your life where you know a lot about the word of God. You've been to church often in your life. You understand things, but in your heart of hearts, you realize I'm not where I should be with God. I don't know if I would make it to glory if I died today. I'm not sure. I'm sure the Lord would want you to settle that question today before you leave here. So if there's anybody here this morning that that questions your salvation and you're at a place where you want to make sure that you're a believer in Christ, simply open your heart to receive him. But I want to ask for a showing of hands. No one looking around. If you're here today and you need Jesus in your life, just raise your hand that I may see. Thank you, young lady. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you over there. All right, thank you over there. Excellent. Okay, I'm going to lead in a prayer. And you can just pray in your heart with me today. Dear Father, we thank you for this word today. Thank you for the lessons learned from our dear brother and friend, Epaphroditus. Help us, Lord, to glean wisdom from this passage and to apply these things to our lives. But Lord, I want to just pray for everyone involved here today, those online. Father, we open up our heart and we say to you, Lord, we, I understand, I need you. We need you. We ask you, Lord, forgive us of our sins. Cleanse our soul and our spirit, O oh God. And we receive you today on a personal level as our personal Lord and Savior and master of our lives. Come into our hearts, Lord, Start a new work within us. If we've been walking with you for some time, Lord, just renew the giftings in our heart. Give us the courage we need to step up and to step out in faith. So we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your never-failing love for us. May your blessing be on us as we have fellowship and go. May we have a good day and a good prayer meeting tonight at 6. We give you all the thanks, all the praise, and all the glory. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. If anyone said that prayer and would love, like for me to pray with you, I'll be available at the altar. Uh, the coffee in the back there. And uh, we hope to see you later. God bless you.